Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Last week, we took a look at this passage of prayer, and I got the opportunity to preach the first couple verses of Luke 11. Today, I'm going to pick that up and follow this theme of prayer through. But before I do that, I want to, I want to tell you a story about when I was a youth pastor in Boise. I just started out in ministry, graduated from college, moved to Boise, went to this small church, great church, about 100 people, was there five years, and along the journey... I had this great heart to reach uh, students for Jesus, but I, I'm not really like a big outward evangelist. I don't stand on the street corner and sun, hold up a sign and tell people they're going to hell or anything like that. That's just not my style, you know? I don't think it was Jesus' style either. However, um, I, you know, I was praying for opportunities, and so this friend of mine, she reached out to me. Uh, she was a peer in, in ministry, and she said, you know, I, I work at this adolescent psychiatric hospital, and there's a free opening on Saturday morning. There's no programming. Would you like to come in and interact with the students? I thought that would be great. Of course, I was pretty nervous about doing that. Uh, for one, I was a youth pastor, but that's okay. Those are kids in church. Uh, you know, psychiatric issues are way above my pay grade. But I went in and I started this weekly, every Saturday journey of hanging out for a couple hours with these students. And there'd be anywhere from six or eight or 12, and they'd stay for a couple weeks or six weeks, depending upon the issue. Some of them, parents just got so fed up, they just, you know, they just committed them in. And, and these students were angry. They were, uh, they were upset uh, at God. And so that was my job, to talk to them. So easy stuff, right? And uh, they affectionately called me the church lady. And <clears throat> you had to be alive in the late 80s to understand that and watch SNL. Um, so I was the church lady, and I went in. I never did the Dana Carvey thing. Um, but, um, you know, it was a really precious time because, I was, again, I was way over my pay grade because they were asking some tough questions. Questions like, how do we know there's a God? Um, why doesn't God show up in my life? If there is a loving God, why is my life like this? You know, the easy stuff, right? <laughs> Just rattle off those answers. No, really what they needed was someone to enter into their pain, into their sorrow, into the confusion, and point them to the fact that there is a God. Even though they may not have seen God show up in their life yet, that he still is a loving father that has a great heart for them. And they would ask all the questions. How do you know Jesus is the only way? And all that stuff. But really it was because there was some deep-seated pain and anger. 
And then they started lashing out at Christians. And, and that's okay. I, you know, I could take it. Um, and, and, you know, in general, and it's like, why are Christians? And then you fill in the blank. Why are they this? Why are they that? But the one I laughed at was very real. They go, why do Christians talk weird? I'm like, yeah, go to church, right? You know, we have deep prayer voices. We use Christianese, these little cliches that somehow we all got a dictionary and we learned. And, and from the outside, they're like ridiculous, right? But then they were asking the deeper questions. Like, if... God is real. Why isn't he answering my prayers? Yeah, you got to swallow hard at that one, right? Because I would think you could be here in this room or watching online and experience that question in your heart. Why does it seem like I pray over and over and over and over again, and it just doesn't do anything? Where is God when I'm crying out to him and I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for him to act, and I just don't see it. Any of you ever prayed for a long time for something? Raise your hand, okay? Um, decades? Anybody pray for decades for something? All right. Um, you know, it's hard for us. We get disappointed with God. I did a funeral uh, service for uh, a lady named Billy. I got to know her off and on a little bit. Over the last number of decades, I've been here, and um, her, her daughters and son, part of Sunrise, and so I did the memorial service maybe about a month ago, and Becky, one of the daughters, was telling me the story how in 1970, she had come to Christ and uh, went and witnessed to her mom, and her mom's like, want nothing to do with it. So, so the girls, they, they kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and trying to like hard heart, 53 years later. She responded to Christ. Now, I'll tell you, I would have probably given up, right? Because we get worn down. Because we kind of know, we know that God wants to save people, and especially those that are dear to our heart. We're like, why aren't you doing that, God? And we just, we just don't know. And then all of a sudden, he answers. But for every one of those, I could give you 10 that seemingly didn't answer. I was with a person yesterday in a, a little conference I was a part of, and he was talking about how he witnessed this guy over and over and over again throughout the years. And finally, on his deathbed in the hospital, he shared the gospel. The guy, the guy resisted it to the very end. Like, does God not care? Well, we know he cares, so why isn't he fixing it, right? Why isn't he answering the deep-seated cries of his children? I put a post out on Facebook this week, and a lot of people responded, and it meant a lot to me because you were sharing honestly, this is what God's been doing in my life. This is where I get frustrated in prayer. When I cry out and God seemingly doesn't answer, why isn't he answering? Last week, we looked at this idea of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, and sometimes we would rather our will trump God's will, right? Because we know that, and we want this, and we got our list, and what if he doesn't answer accordingly? Why does God take so long? So last week we looked at this passage, the first few verses of Luke 11, where we witnessed the fact that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, had seen Jesus in prayer. And they saw that all his power, his presence, the, the ability to make decisions, the ability to do the miraculous, all was embedded in the reality that he spent time with the Father. And so they went up to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray, like John taught his disciples to pray. Teach us how to pray. Not teach us a prayer to memorize, but teach us a way to pray because there's something there we're missing. And so we saw last week as a big idea this. We saw that prayer is about deepening your relationship with God. 
Prayer is about deepening your relationship with God, not finding and discovering some enchantment tool that you can somehow bind God and you can whisper this or you could say these words or sprinkle some dust on or rub the lamp the right way or you know, wave the magic wand. That's not what prayer is, much to our disappointment, right? Prayer is about a relationship with God. And in that relationship, we pour out our heart to him as he poured out his, his will to us. And so we saw Jesus basically sum it up this way. Three points. One, give reverence to the Father. Start all of our prayers by acknowledging him. Our Father, Father, you're in heaven. Your will be done. Hallowed be your name. And then submit to his will, to the Father's agenda. Your will be done, not mine. God, give me your will. Help me understand what you're doing. I want to line up with you. I want to do what you have as a mission on the earth today. I don't want to do all my plans and stuff and then ask you to bless it. I want to do what you want. And then finally, submit your needs. Ask him. Ask your Father for the things that are on your heart. That's when the prayer list comes out, right? But start by hallowing his name. Give reverence to the Father. Align yourself with him. Submit to his will. And then pour right out all the requests that you have. Well, today we're going to build on that because Jesus is going to give a couple of illustrations. Three things he's going to say today to tell us more about prayer. But i got to be honest with you. At first glance, even at second glance, they don't look, make God look very flattering at all. They make God look bad. You read them, you're like, what is that? What, what is Jesus saying here? So I want to jump into it, explain a little bit, get to the bottom. And we're going to pray together. So here's what it says. It says, and he said to them, so chapter 11, verse 5, right on the heels of what we saw after the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, we would call it. He said, and he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. <laughs> it's like, excuse me? Teach you a Sunday school class for kids. Okay, when you pray to God, think about this. He just might be asleep. And so don't annoy him, right? I was like, hello, excuse me, Jesus. What's going on here? But I'll think of the context and the culture. At the time this was written, in the Middle Eastern culture, uh, the ancient Near East, we would call it, hospitality was a law. It wasn't just expected. It was a law because they were nomadic in their ways. Think back to Abraham and, and along to Moses. And when you're out in the wilderness and you're journeying from place to place and you see a fire or you see a tent, you go up there, you knock on the flap. It was not just expected. It was required that you open up your home to that person and provide a meal for them, provide a place to stay. It was necessary. There was no Motel 6, right? It wasn't there. So you had to provide for the people around you. We are so individualistic in our culture as Westerners, as Americaners. You know, we like have our space. And many of us have guest rooms, but we'd never, if somebody knocked on our door, invite them in to sleep and invite them to a meal. It's like, well, that's, that's kind of weird. We don't know you. But it was expected. It was a cultural norm to open up your life to someone. So this guy does this. Here, all of a sudden, he's asleep at night, and his family's in bed. They're probably in this one room. Uh, this is kind of how it worked, because they, they didn't have big spaces. They had this one-room house, maybe divided with a couple pillars or a back space for storage or whatever. But bottom line, it was right out in the open, and there's a mat, and there's a bed, and everybody's asleep in the bed. Mom's in the bed. Dad's in the bed. The kids are in the bed. The sheep are next door to the bed. The goats. Yes, all the animals stayed in the house at night. It not only warmed the house, it brought some amazing smells. And, um, and so um, is before, you know, potpourri. Um, and so, you know, just imagine, typical scenario, someone's knocking at your door 
And what, you know, like, what are you thinking? I have to get up, I have to light a lamp. I have to, I have to get a fire going and I have to light a lamp. And then I have to, you know, crawl over my wife and kids and not kick the sheep or the goats and people are crying. Have you seen sheep, you know, bawling? And then goats, little goats, when they cry, they sound like little babies, right? It's just like, what an annoying thing. I'm asleep. What are you doing? Now, that's, that's the setup. And you're like, okay, Jesus, where are you going with this one? Well, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Okay, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, so, so because God doesn't really call us friends and love us, if we just annoy him to death, he'll answer our prayers. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Kind of sounds like what he's saying, right? The, the word impudence is interesting. It's, it's not a word that's used in uh, kind of a lot of modern translation because it's not a cultural word we use. But the idea is audacity. It's boldness. It's shameless persistence. That was very common in that day. Today, uh, for a Jewish person, or if you know one, they would call it chutzpah, you know? And if you don't spit and get saliva out when you say it, you're not saying the word. It's this idea that you could stand toe-to-toe with God and demand something. Ooh, that's pretty bold, right? That's pretty, pretty persistent, pretty shameless. Impotence, that's the word there. Because of that, the friend's going to answer the request. So hold on, Jesus. What you're saying is sometimes when we pray, whatever time zone God is in, he's asleep in the bed and the angels are lying on the ground and, and he can't get up because he might have to step over an angel and all of a sudden there's a wing and then somebody cries and then all of a sudden he's anointed us. Is that what you're saying? Is that why God answers prayer? Is that his attitude towards us? It uh, doesn't make God look very good, does it? Well, let's go on. God looks worse on the next one. Look at this. And I tell you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, two important points here. First of all, those words rise in intensity. Okay, it's important. You're, you're getting more and more bold or more and more needy and or more and more irritated. First of all, you ask, and then you seek, and then you knock, right? The second thing is something that's missed in the translation because the words are not words that you would just do once. So, sorry for the geek in me. This is a present active imperative. It's a command, but it's an ongoing command. So, better translations would say it this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't give up is what Jesus is saying, right? You just keep on. This boldness, this tenacity, this shameless persistence, this chutzpah, you just keep doing it. Because God is hard of hearing? What's going on here? Well, ask for it. Knock for it. I mean, why do we have to shout? Why do we have to pound? Doesn't, Doesn't God come across as a loving Heavenly Father in the Scripture that all we have to do is ask? Well, here's another one. It gets even worse. In fact, it's comically worse. In verse 11 and 12, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? (laughs) Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Uh, Excuse me? Hey, Seth, here's a baseball. Ah, it's a tarantula. Just teasing. (laughs) He opens up the Christmas gift. It's an iPhone. Nah, it's a potato. What? 
Have you seen those? These are really cool. I like these. You can go at Christmas time and you can buy these fake wrappings, these fake boxes, and they're really hilarious. They're just comical. And you put your package and your gift inside of that, and it's like a fake. This is opposite. Nice wrapping. It's just like it's a porta potty, you know, a little squeeze thing, and it's like a little slider you can put on your bathroom. Like, what are you thinking? Seriously? You're going to give me that? Okay, wh why does Jesus use three not-so-flattering illustrations to communicate something. Because I don't, on first glance, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, here's where he turns it all. And I love how Jesus does this in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> that's good. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Those three words, friends, how much more? That's the key to all this. Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, because this sermon is not going to be four hours, I don't have time to go into the thing about the Holy Spirit and how that, you know, is important there. But I just want to tell you, this is the key. Have you ever been to a mall and you're wandering around and you don't know where the Cheesecake Factory is? Of course, that wouldn't be true because it's so big and glorious, you know. But if you don't know where your store is, what do you do? Well, Mary Beth and I recently were in Southern California, went to the La Jolla Mall with a friend, and this friend had been to this place and he knew it uh, from a couple days before, and he says, you got to go to this place. It's really great. So we drive down there 30 minutes. We, we go to this massive parking structure. It's a big California outdoor mall, and we go to the La Jolla Mall, and it's sprawling, okay? Okay? And, we're, and he goes, I think I know, I think I know. It's over here. And we're wandering around. And I'm like, hey, there's a map, right? Let's just go to the map. Because there are two important things on the map, right? You are here, and this is your store. That's all you need to know, right? These two little points of light. You are here. Here's your store. Now you can get there. That's what this is in the text. This is the uh, orientation. Get the map the right way. Here's where you are. Here's where you need to go in understanding how much more. Now, in that culture, in that language, in that teaching, it was very common to use an extremely absurd illustration to communicate something plain and clear. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus was not afraid of using poor examples to il illustrate a point not because they're parallel with God, but they're the opposite, right? But we don't do that today. Seth this week went out with some friends. He's the only boy left at the house, and uh, he went and played for a number of hours some games with some friends. And when he left, I didn't even remotely think to say, hey, Seth, have a good time with your friends. Don't act like Jeffrey Dahmer when you're with them. <laughs> I wouldn't even think to say something like that. I shared that in the first service, and he came up, he goes, Dad, the, uh, the people I went to, they were all ladies. I'm like, oh, he, he, done, he knows everything. Okay, I'm like, thank you. That wasn't the point of the illustration. It was the extreme. It doesn't correlate, doesn't make sense. He prayed on me. I'll go, okay, all right. It's like, man, kids these days. You know, and it's like, especially brilliant ones. They just know all this stuff. But none of us would do that, right? Hey, you know, you're having some friends. You know, you got a nice little group of friends. You know, don't become like Adolf Hitler and rule over them. It's like we would never talk like that. That's the point. God would never act like that. Your heavenly father would never act like this. So what's the point that Jesus is making? Well, here, here's, here's what I want to say is the big idea. It's this. Persistence in prayer is not about begging God. Friends, persistence in prayer is not about begging God. 
It's about boldness with God. It's about shameless persistence and audacity and you dare going to the throne room of God and saying, God, this is what I need. Do that. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Why? Because he wants to answer you. He wants to give you good things. Now, I know, I'll be honest, as Christians, we have a hard time with this because our view of the Heavenly Father is, is very simply, if I just ask God, he'll give me whatever I want. No, that's our view of Santa Claus, okay? Our Heavenly Father is not Santa Claus. No, that's our view of a vending machine. We put a dollar in, right? Like we get a Coke out or $2 or whatever it is these days. Get some peanuts out. Get some nachos out, right? No, no, that's not how our Heavenly Father is. We don't command him. We don't dictate to him. But he invites us to come to him. God's not playing hard to get. God's not treating us like a dog. Okay, just sit on your hind legs, beg, jump up, bark. I'll give you a biscuit, right? Here's a little cracker. Now, God's not like that. That is the wrong perspective if we have that about God. God is a heavenly father that wants to give good gifts to us. But that means we have to be persistent. Okay? But why? Why? Why doesn't he just answer the first time? And I know you've all asked that, right? Because we've all prayed. Why doesn't he just ask, I mean answer when we ask, why is it that I have to keep going over and over and over and over again? He knows what's on my heart. Why wouldn't he just respond accordingly? Well, I wrote this down, so I want to read it to you. Boldness in prayer overcomes our apathy. Boldness in prayer overcomes our apathy, not God's perceived insensitivity. You see... He invites us to come to him, but there's something that happens in us when we boldly persevere, when we come to him. It's not because he doesn't want to hear us, but sometimes we need to pray and hear ourselves enough to figure out something might not be true in our lives, might not be real, might not be good for us. I remember prayers when I was younger. I thank God he didn't say yes to those. That would not have been good for me. I mean, if you've ever been to uh, or through the Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, anybody ever been through that, I highly encourage you to do it. We're going to do it again this fall as a church. But here's the deal. This is one of the things that Dave says, and, and I don't like it, but it's true, that if God wanted you to get out of debt, it's not like he would just write a check. Wouldn't that be great? In fact, how about we just do this? We're going we're gonna to run a Financial Peace University class, and when you come and you show up your debt, we're going to write a check for all of them, and you're going to be free, right? That would teach you nothing. Nothing. The hard work of getting out of debt is the persistence that's going to teach you a new way of life so you stay out of debt. That's the reality, friends. If you've ever um, done any kind of exercise, you've biked or you've run, if you've run a marathon, I've run a couple marathons, believe it or not. Um, and, and the reality is this, all of the hard work of training and the long runs, that's what teaches you and prepares your body to actually get to the end of 26.2 miles. Or climbing a mountain, if you've ever climbed a mountain. A lot of folks have. We've climbed mountains. Our family climbed a South Sister a couple years ago. I've climbed Mount Hood, a bunch of mountains. The, the hard work of training and working and getting up there, climbing high, sleeping low over several days, that teaches you something. So when you get to the summit and you get that picture, that's a glorious picture because you worked hard for it. And you're never the same again. There's something in persistence that changes us. 
And that's what God wants. He wants our hearts changed in many ways. Our motives, our desires changed. I, I, in my heart of hearts and my simplicity, I wish God would just answer yes to everything. But he doesn't because he's a good, good father. Remember that movie, uh, Bruce Almighty? Love that. I don't really like Jim Carrey so much, but that was a good movie. And, um, and he finally gets frustrated because he gets all the God power, Morgan Freeman God power. And, um, and so he just gets so irritated, he just says, yes. He answers every prayer request with a yes. That was disastrous to the world, right? I mean, the lottery, 26 cents or what everybody got because everybody won. Everybody got what they wanted. That would be a disaster if your children got everything they asked for, correct? Yeah. Because sometimes your kids, they just don't know what's best for them, right? Sometimes we don't know what's best for us. In these examples, Jesus is revealing the heart of a Father God who loves us dearly, who knows all our needs and invites us to come to him. But if he doesn't answer right away, or if the answer that he gives is not what we want, that's not because he's not a good father. In fact, he's a great, he's a better father than we imagine because of that. Because he knows exactly what we need, friend. And I'm telling you this, we do not always know how to pray. But he wants us to pray and he invites us to pray. I love this from Psalm 84, 11. It's not on the screen, but just listen to this. It says, no good thing will the Lord withhold from them that love him. That's a mantra for me. It's easy to memorize. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who love him no good thing will the lord withhold from you when you love him but then why isn't he answering my prayer the way i want i wish i had the specific answer but i can tell you story after story after story of how when people have persisted in prayer myself included it's finally revealed and you look back and you go god you knew best it's not what I wanted, but somehow you and your amazing sovereignty of running everything, of, of knowing everyone, you put all the pieces together. You know, the Apostle Paul, classic illustration, he went to God and said, God, would you remove this thorn in the flesh, this, this messenger of Satan, to which I'm thinking, sounds like God's will, right? He prayed, how many times? Three times. And this is what God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you because I want to be known in your weakness, not in your strength. That's not the American way, folks. <laughs> but that's God's way. He will only show up in our weakness and dependence. And then he reveals himself as a good father. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy, a really good book, he said this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. Let me repeat that. God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. So friends, pray boldly. Pray persistently. Pray shamelessly with incredible audacity because in doing so, God is reforming and refining your character and your ability to see his goodness because his goodness is not always shown in giving us whatever we want. It's in knowing what's best for us. I love this, and I can't even imagine preaching this without adding this passage from Hebrews chapter 4. 
This is what we see. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way respect, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that. Uh, I, I love how some other translations say it better because it's not so blocky in the, in the language. He says this in the NAS, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. In the NLT, let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. In the message, thank you, Eugene Peterson, he says, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Isn't that great? Let's just walk right into the throne room, not because we deserve it, not because in our own power we have the ability to, because he's invited us in, friends. You are sons and daughters of the Most High Heavenly Father, and he has invited you into his presence. So with boldness, because Jesus has gone before us, let's march right into the throne room of God and say, God, this is what I need. And he will hear you, and he will answer in his timing and in his sovereign way. And I don't like the last two parts of that. <laughs> and I know you don't either. But he's a good, good father. And so today I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to remember that he is a father that loves you. And in the way he loves you is not always to say yes to your response of prayer and the need. But to say, I love you and I will fill in that gap. And I will be present with you in your weakness. And it might be a no. It might be a not yet. And it might be a yes. But he knows best. So pray with boldness. Pray with persistence. Pray with audacity because you are invited into your Father God's throne room right before him because he wants to hear from you. And his presence will be enough for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I know it's not always the way we want it. It's rarely the way we want it. But the hard work of walking the journey is how you want to teach us, how you want to refine us, how you want to change us. God, I know some people in this room have been boldly persisting. They have been asking. They've been seeking. They've been knocking. And they feel like there's no answer. God, reveal to them your grace. Reveal to them your goodness. Reveal that in the process of that, you will refine them. And you will reveal your father heart to them. Because you're not like an earthly father. A father of this world, a mother of this world, who would potentially want harm to their children. You're a good, good father who wants to give us all good things. But in the process, Lord, we need to align our will with yours. And so in this journey, in this process, whatever we're praying for, remind us that you care. Remind us that you love. And we will keep pouring out. And we will boldly come into your presence. We'll rock right up to the throne and we'll tell you what we need and you and your love will communicate back to us. Maybe not in our timing, not in our way, but communicate back to us that you are a father who loves and has the best for us. So Father, guide us in this. We pray in your name. Amen.